The day has arrived. Donald Trump has been criminally indicted. A Manhattan grand jury voted to criminally indict Donald Trump this week. How did it go down? What has the response been? And what happens next? We will break it down here on Legal AF. Also on Friday, a major ruling was handed down in Dominion's billion-dollar defamation lawsuit against Fox, which is set to go to trial in the next few weeks. A devastating order for Fox, a great ruling for truth. We will break that down here as well. Welcome to Legal AF. No time for a long introduction because we've got a lot to discuss about this historic week. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Karen Friedman Agnifilo and Michael Popak. Welcome both. Hi, Ben. (laughs) Popak, first, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Today was the day I got to wear my 3D glasses. We've got so much to cover and so many layers to cover here. Just I want to just throw it out here this way. We're going to talk about how Alvin Bragg not only figured out how to split the atom, but also how to conduct cold fusion. I'll explain later. And we've got a judge in Delaware who's completely stripped Fox and Fox Corporation and Fox News of basically all of their defenses and have only left basically two issues left for a jury to decide all against Fox. We'll talk about that in the second segment. Well, excited to break that down. But first, let's talk about what happened in Manhattan this week. Karen Friedman Agnifilo, uh, you worked at that Manhattan District Attorney's Office for basically 30 years. You rose to the position of basically the number two at the entire office there. And uh, there were many times where you actually served as the acting Manhattan District Attorney. So it'd be fair to say that you know that office better than essentially anybody on this planet. So I want to get your take. First, can you break down what happened this week? What does it mean and what happens next? Sure. So just to be accurate, because, you know, accuracy matters. Uh, I did leave in, in the middle of my time there for three years to work for the mayor of New York City, Mike Bloomberg. So it wasn't exactly 30 years. So I just wanted to um, just to clear that up. So uh, but what what happened was um, was the Manhattan DA's office, uh, we are told, and we saw an order now indicted Donald Trump for his first election interference case, the Stormy Daniels hush money payment case. And the reason we know about it is because he applied to uh, Judge Juan Mershon, who's the judge in this case, for a limited, Alvin Bragg applied for a limited unsealing order because normally an, in, uh, an indictment in a case like this, because it is, uh, it is an indictment that's happened before an arrest, that indictment is sealed. And so because it is sealed, normally we wouldn't know about it. But sometimes in a case that has extreme amount of uh, press interest and public interest and one where we know the defendant already knows about it, as Donald Trump does, because we would have to tell him to surrender, sometimes the DA's office would apply for what's called a a limited unsealing order just to be able to say that uh, there has been an indictment. And that's exactly what they did here. And the case 
we don't know a lot about it yet. We don't know what the charges are exactly. We don't know what the evidence and the proof is exactly. And that's because the grand jury process is a secret proceeding by law. And so, but we can uh, glean a few things and guess a few things based on, on what we believe is going on. And so what we think is, and what we've heard it has been reported is that there's 34 counts in the indictment. Again, we don't know. But uh, I, I expect that you will see several charges related to each payment that was made from Donald Trump to Michael Cohen to reimburse him for the hush money payment as well as pay him for his services. So what, what the facts of the case are, just very briefly, Right before the election, uh, Stormy Daniels came forward and wanted to sell her story that she had a very brief, like 90 second affair or relationship with Donald Trump. And he was becoming president, or I should say running for, pres for president. And, uh, and, he, and Donald Trump was in a conspiracy with David Pecker, who was the owner of, or the yeah, the owner of the National Enquirer, and they conspired together to catch and kill stories so that they wouldn't come out and influence the election. And he used his fixer at the time, Michael Cohen, to do this. So they did it with two different people, Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels around the time of the election. And so what we would, ex and, and the way it was done was, was uh, Pecker didn't want to actually pay the money. I think he realized that it would be illegal. And so he said to Michael Cohen, you do it and you arrange it. And Michael Cohen had to take out a home equity loan and, and paid the $130,000 to Stormy Daniels. And Donald Trump then had to pay him back. And the way he did it was he structured the payments over time. I think it was 11 different payments and, and he paid him back plus a fee for uh, his for for helping him commit a crime, and and each one of those payments would have uh, a check that was written, an invoice that was sent by Michael Cohen, a fake invoice saying that it was for legal services when it wasn't, and uh, a business record entry where it was written that it was for a legal retainer in the Trump Organization records, and so I. Think it's possible, although I don't know because I haven't seen it. It's possible you could see a different charge, a different falsifying a business record charge, Penal Law 175.10, uh, which is a, a felony. You could see a charge for each of those three things related to each payment. That would get you to 33. And then what's the other charge? I think it's possible there will be a conspiracy charge. And the reason I think it's possible there'll be a conspiracy charge is otherwise there was no conspiracy charge and there was just falsifying business record charge. All you would see on the indictment is on or about X date, the defendant in the county and state of New York um, committed falsifying a business record in the first degree by writing check number one, two, three, four, five. I mean, that's literally what an indictment says. and. Um, 
and maybe has one other, you know, set, by writing check one, two, three, four, five, and indicating that it was for a legal payment when it was not or something. It's like very brief uh, what an indictment language is, unless you charge a conspiracy. And if you charge conspiracy, it's all about the agreement between the criminal agreement between two or more people. It talks about what the purpose of the agreement was, what they wanted to um accomplish. And then you have to prove overt acts in the conspiracy. And the overt acts are actions that you take in order to complete the conspiracy. So for example, if um, Popak and I said we were going to rob a bank together and we were talking about it and we both agreed, okay, we're going to rob a bank together, but we don't do anything about it, then it's not a crime. It's not a Karen, conspiracy. Karen, don't reveal our pre-show discussions. <laughs> so, but it's it's literally, it's not a crime because all we did was just talk about it and agree. Unless we commit some overt act to do it, then it doesn't count yet. So you have to do something. Like we say to Ben, Ben, can we borrow your car and you know, will you be the getaway driver for us when we when we rob that bank? And if Ben says yes and drives the car over, that's an overt act. That's something that was done. Even if you don't ever go and rob the bank, it doesn't matter. We conspired to go do it and we took a step forward doing it. So you have to have an overt act. And what I bet they will do if they do charge conspiracy is they will have many overt acts and it'll include all of the various discussions that were had between people about catching and killing stories, about influencing the election, about, for example, an overt act could be the tape that um, Michael Cohen had uh, with Donald Trump regarding the Karen McDougal payment, which was a different hush money payment about a 10 month affair that they had before he even met Melania. And so if I were them, I would want that evidence in the, uh, in, in my case, I apologize for the noise, but my dog had surgery and he has to be, uh, with a cone around his neck and on a leash. And so he's not happy about it. And He's moving around. There he is. You all know Boogie. He has been on this podcast before. So he is not happy. So that's what that noise is. And I apologize. Um, anyway, so, so the, um, so, so if I were the prosecutor in this case, I would want the evidence of, uh, Karen McDougal in this particular case because the defense saying, oh, this was just about, I, I didn't want to embarrass Melania, this had nothing to do with the election. The reason that has a little bit of legs, it's not going to prevail, but the reason why it's going to um, have some legs and be a little bit of a defense is because he was having, he was cheating on Melania. She had just given birth to their son, Baron, I think a couple of months earlier, and he's out cheating on her with a porn star. And so he can make an argument that, see, this was just about saving Melania, although I'm not really sure Melania would check out the books and records of the Trump organization, but that's his defense. Karen McDougal, you can't really make that same argument. That was an affair that happened in, I think, 2006 before he even was married to Melania. So he wasn't cheating on her. So why was he paying her off, right? It wasn't to save Melania. It's because he wanted to throw the election. And so I would want that evidence in there. I think it's important. And that comes in 
in a conspiracy, but it might not come in otherwise because it's an it could be an uncharged act unless it's charged. Unless the, the for all we know in this indictment, they also charged those crimes as well. We just don't know. But this is this is what we expect to see. You know, and uh, of course, this week led off with that testimony of David Pecker, right, the former CEO of the National Enquirer. And when you think about that payment made by the National Enquirer to Karen McDougal, this other individual Donald Trump had a sexual encounter uh, with leading up to the 2016 election, a payment of $150,000 made, right? That's not disclosed as a campaign contribution. Why else were they paying the money to help Donald Trump? Because they thought if we get this guy elected, that's going to be good for our company. That's a good look for the National Enquirer. That's good for our business. And then to your point, Karen, at some point, someone probably said to them, you know what? That was problematic. You just likely violated campaign finance laws. And so when they were going to do it again with Stormy Daniels, they just said, "Uh, uh-uh, we can't do it. Cohen, you got to do it with uh, Trump and figure it out on your own this time. And then they did it with Stormy Daniels again, you know, furthering that overall conspiracy. And so, Michael Popak, I want to turn it to you. What was your immediate reaction to this indictment, um, as well as what are we learning? We know about the judge that's now been assigned uh, to this case. Um, we know Donald Trump's reaction to that. We've seen the reaction of uh, Trump's followers. Uh, sadly predictable. Um, what have you made of all of that? Let me start with the comment about why um, this is my um, split the atom and cold fusion. Let me explain. It looks like Alvin Bragg and his team of prosecutors figured out how to split the atom. And what I mean by that is they figured out if we're right about the 34 counts and we're right that it goes to the broader catch and kill program designed by David Pecker of the National Enquirer to benefit Donald Trump, who was in on that conspiracy in which David Pecker met with Michael Cohen, likely Kellyanne Conway, maybe Hope Hicks, but definitely Kellyanne Conway, to devise the scheme and then use Susan McDougal. We keep calling it the Stormy Daniels investigation a shorthand. This may be on Tuesday when the indictment is revealed. This may be the catch and kill which solves a multitude of problems. One, it it creates that conspiracy that Karen just eloquently outlined with Donald Trump at the center, with David Pecker as a co-conspirator, unindicted because he was given immunity to testify here and in the federal case. But so an unindicted co-conspirator number one, David Pecker, unindicted co-conspirator number two, Michael Cohen, unindicted co-conspirator number three, Kellyanne Conway, and then indicted co-conspirator Donald Trump. The reporting is, and this is from your fellow podcast host, Ben, is that the reason that Michael, that uh, uh, David Pecker paid Susan McDougal directly uh, the $150,000, this is his testimony, and the reason he didn't pay the second time for Stormy Daniels is because, according to Michael Cohen's memoir, um, Donald Trump stiffed David Pecker and didn't pay him. And therefore, he didn't want to make the second payment. And it went through 
I keep, I said Susan McDougal. I'm sorry. Thanks, guys, catching it. It's Karen. Every time I said Susan McDougal, just put in Karen McDougal. <laughs> but, 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 but the reason it was because Donald Trump, this should come as no surprise, stiffed David Pecker. Pecker said, screw you. I'm not making the second payment. You do it. And that's how Michael Cohen got in. If Michael Cohen's testimony is what, if what he said in his memoir is what he said in the grand jury, that's what he told the grand jury. So you have, that's the rationale. That's the split the atom. That solves a Michael Cohen problem also because Michael Cohen was not involved with the Karen McDougal payment. That just shows the catch and kill program. He was involved with the second level payment, this the new payment that was made to Stormy Daniels. So for all, all those that said, don't put all your eggs in Michael Cohen's basket because he's got credibility problems, this split the atom because he's he's now making it, Alvin Bragg and his team is making it about the broader catch and kill. As to cold fusion, how did he solve that? We're going to see it when we see the 34 counts. That's a hell of a lot of counts. Even if you take the 11 or so structured payments that we think were made um, back to Michael Cohen to repay him for going on his home equity line and then getting additional bonuses and a gross-up payment so he didn't have to get hit with income tax um, by having that money come into his law firm and have it be seen as income. In other words, Trump paid the taxes so that it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt Michael Cohen. That's maybe half of the 34. The other 30, the other half or so must be related, I would think, this is my prediction, to Karen McDougal and the conspiracy claims, maybe the civil RICO claims around the co-conspirator. And then the second, the second um, crime, which doesn't have to be charged, just to be clear. In New York, you know, we say two wrongs don't make a right. Well, two misdemeanors make a felony. So if you got a misdemeanor books and records fraud, and you combine it with a second thing, even if it's a misdemeanor, even if it's statute of limitations barred, even if they couldn't indict and won't indict on it, if it's in furtherance of another crime, then they've got jackpot, they've got their felony, which we're expecting that most, if not all of the 34 counts are going to be felony. So we have, we have that. Then moving to Trump world for a moment, um, and this four-day gap between the time that, that the uh, the uh, Manhattan DA wanted Donald Trump to surrender, which was yesterday, Friday, right off the indictment, not Tuesday. That's Donald Trump's Trump playing games and claiming that the Secret Service needed more time to arrange the surrender. That's not true. What he needed was a four-day weekend to regroup and recalibrate with his defense team, most of which, according to reporting, thought that there wasn't going to be an indictment and we're off to their spring break. Karen and I talked a lot about this, the, the break in the action in the grand jury, which Karen accurately predicted was not, didn't mean they weren't going to indict on Thursday. Um, but so they had to regroup and they had to get Joe Tacopina and Joe Tacopina's partner, Chad Siegel and Susan Necklace, who's really the lead trial lawyer, down to Mar-a-Lago to get into a war room. And then, and then next to the war room, of course, is the grifting room where Donald Trump devises with people like Miller, you know, Stephen Miller, how to raise four, five, eight million dollars a day. So the reason Donald Trump didn't want to go in on Friday is that it was, you know, 30 or 40 million dollars too soon because he, he wanted to continue to raise money on the backs of his indictment. You'll see the mugshot that will be taken. It'll probably be released by Donald Trump in terms of, uh, you know, to, in order to raise uh, more money. As to the, um, 
I want to I want to turn it to Karen in a minute after I talk about uh, Juan Mershon, who's the lawyer, the judge that's handling this. This was assigned, and we kind of got speculation because we saw that that Judge Mershon was heading in to his chambers into court on Thursday as well, and and there was already reporting as early as January that even on Fox, that if there was an indictment, it would be assigned to Juan Mershon. So it wasn't going to be a random assignment. That's the judge that presided in December uh, over the 17-count conviction led by the same Manhattan DA's office against two major Trump organization entities for tax fraud. That's the Alan Weisselberg issue, uh, having the CFO having testified and then been whisked off to Rikers Island for what's coming up on his fifth month. As to uh, that's Judge Mershon. Now Trump hates Mershon because he ruled really harshly against uh, Trump uh, lawyers when they were trying to prepare and they wanted to delay, delay, delay. He was having none of it. He pushed um, Weisselberg very hard. He even made comments when the sentence was only five months. He felt his hands were a little bit tied by the prosecutor. He thought this guy deserved more and said it aloud. So this is not a friendly Trump guy. And Trump's already started to attack him. That's that's actually an old picture of Judge Mershon. Mershon is now almost completely gray. Uh, I'm getting there at the rate Donald Trump is getting indicted. So now that we've kind of given an overview of where we are with what we expect the indictment to look like, let's take advantage of having Karen on the show with us today. And Karen, why don't we move it forward? And talk about what happens next. You know, now that we know what's happened, we as we said on Wednesday's show, you know what happened. What happens next? I can't think of anybody better to do that than you. And before doing that, let's just take a quick break. Then back to Karen Freeman Agnifilo on what happens next. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. The last few years, especially, have been a wild ride, filled with my own personal self-realizations and growth. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding. Because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I personally have benefited directly from therapy, allowing me to talk through and work through experiences in my past that were unknowingly having a major impact on the way I go about my day-to-day. Therapy is an incredibly helpful tool for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Over time, I've truly learned to become the best version of me. And look, therapy is for everyone, not just people who've experienced major trauma, because what you're working through matters. Never discount that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LegalAF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LegalAF. Okay, we are back with Legal AF. Karen Friedman Agnifilo, the million dollar question, the billion dollar question, the question to save our democracy, frankly, is what happens next? Can you walk us through that process? Yeah. So what's happening right now is uh, law enforcement is looking at logistics 
to see how they're going to get Donald Trump in and out of the building. Uh, they're looking at different routes to get him to the building as well as in the building. And they're going to clear most of uh, the other cases in the building for the afternoon because he's surrendering for arraignment on Tuesday. And so what typically happens in these surrenders is you make the arrangement to surrender in the morning and then the arraignment is in the afternoon because that way uh, you get all the paperwork done and then you go to court. And so, so uh, they are apparently the Manhattan DA's office wanted to do it on Friday, but Trump wasn't ready. So he's doing it on Tuesday if he voluntarily surrenders the way uh, it's been reported he will. But I still wonder whether he will um, fake pretend that he was trying to surrender, but his his Mar-a-Lago people weren't allowing him to. And, and Ron DeSantis said he won't extradite him, but let's assume he's going to actually surrender. So right now, law enforcement is uh, working on logistics to get him into the building. He will go to the Manhattan DA's office. He will uh, be brought in with his Secret Service detail who will not leave his side the entire time since he's under their guard. He will be brought into a place where he is processed. Um, they will fingerprint him. They may or may not photograph him, uh, believe it or not, because I can imagine a scenario where law enforcement is considering the whether that's necessary. You know, the whole reason you would photograph someone is in case they flee to another country, you need a photograph of them to, you know, to find them. We obviously know what he looks like. And um, and so and it's hard to to keep a, a mugshot. Uh, it's hard to keep it. Um, not leaking out. And can you imagine what Donald Trump would do with that photograph? Uh, he'd probably, as, as Alan Dershowitz said, use it as a campaign slogan. So I wonder whether law enforcement will actually, will actually do it, but who knows? Let's see. So he could also be handcuffed. Again, I, that's what normally happens, but I doubt that will happen here because he's under guard with the Secret Service anyway. So I don't know if all the normal things that normally happen will happen. The, the one thing I can guarantee they will do is fingerprint him. And those fingerprints will be then uploaded into a database that then generates a rap sheet and a New York State ID number or a NYSID number, just like every person who's sitting in Rikers Island, including Alan Weisselberg has. Anybody who's ever been arrested has a NYSID number and a rap sheet. And Donald Trump will have one of those. Then he will be brought to court where he will be, where we will that morning, the DA's office will go and ask for an unsealing order to unseal the entire indictment. And we will see the charges I anticipate before the arraignment on Tuesday. Then he will be brought into court in Judge Mershon's courtroom uh, where he will, they will figure out a way to get him there where it's not necessarily through the hall, the regular hallways. I am told that the other court matters that are going on, all the other trials, et cetera, are all stopping at lunch. And so at 2.15, there will really be nobody up there except um, except 
the necessary people and then some press who will be outside the courtroom and will capture him going in. It will be, it's discretionary whether uh, a judge can allow cameras in the courtroom. Um, we'll see what Judge Mershon allows. That's a sketch right there of a, a sketch artist will definitely be allowed in. So we will see sketches of the proceeding for sure, whether or not we see photographs or, um, or whether we see a, one video's feed will be up to the discretion of the court. So I don't know what the answer will be. I'm trying to get a seat in the courtroom. Uh, I've, I usually would have no problem getting in. And let's see if I can, because of Secret Service, it is kind of an issue. But I, I have all the feelers out. I've asked all the right people. And so hopefully I can, I can get in there. But so the next thing that happens is he will be arraigned. He'll be told what the charges are, and then he will probably plead not guilty. Um, I'm sure he will plead not guilty. And then the case will be adjourned um, for a for motion practice, and, and it'll proceed like every other case. And that's it. He will not be, bail will not be set because this is not a bail eligible crime. If he continues to um, attack the judge, as he's been doing, um, the judge could impose other sanctions on him like gag order talking about this case i could and and we'll see about that so this is a judge judge Mershon is is a is a judge's judge he's he's very no nonsense and he calls balls and strikes he's not a pro prosecutor or pro defense judge he's not one that speaks more than necessary he's he he um he's just a great judge and he can control his courtroom so we'll see what he does to to Donald Trump. That'll be interesting to watch. So Karen, the process that's going to take place is called an arraignment. You said then he's going to get arraigned. Can you just paint that picture? And I'm not going to ask you to actually paint the actual court sketch, but can you paint the picture for our audience just of what that actually means? Does the judge read the charges? Can the person waive a reading of charges like that happens in California? Um, does the judge have to go through each and every charge? And does Trump have to say guilty or not guilty to each and every charge? And then after that takes place in the courtroom, then what happens? Does it, is it then just go through the normal procedure? Is there a right to a speedy trial? Can you waive that right? What's the time frame that we look for after this arraignment? But let's first start with what's the arraignment? So the arraignment is the process by which you inform someone of the charges. And this is called the Supreme Court arraignment because the trial court in New York is called the Supreme Court, believe it or not. And so this is his Supreme Court arraignment where he will be informed of the charges in the indictment. So you'll have a judge, a court reporter, you'll have two tables, one with a bunch of prosecutors, one with the defendant who is Donald Trump. He will now be called the defendant. Um, and and he will he will be at the table with his lawyers and the judge will um, basically say to him, uh, you know, Mr. Trump, you have been charged under indictment number one, two, three, four, five uh, with 34 counts of X, Y and Z. Um, do you waive? And, the, and then the defense attorney usually waives the reading 
um, of the charges, but not the rights there under is what they normally say, but you might not waive it. He might insist on the judge doing it the way, you know, where you have to read all the charges, but typically they waive it like they do in California. And then they uh, officially ask him, how do you plead? Please enter a plea. Do you plead guilty or not guilty? And usually, um, they plead not guilty. And normally he would not say another word, right? Because you've got a court reporter taking it all down. Normally the lawyer speaks and you never hear his voice other than his plea. Um, we'll see, because it's Donald Trump, what he may or may not say. And uh, But really the arraignment is an opportunity to do a couple of things. Number one, you inform him of the charges that he's being charged with. Number two, it's where you where bail conditions are set, if there would be any bail. But here, because it's not a bail eligible offense, there will not be any conditions. It is any notices that the prosecutor w wants to or needs to file on a case. So there are certain legal notices that you have to file, like, are there any statements that you intend to use uh, against the defendant at trial, if that's the case, if there are any statements that you have made, the prosecutor has to serve notice of those statements within 15 days of the arraignment. Normally, they just serve them at arraignment. So we will know, are there any statements that he has made, whether it was in the course of the, um, they're the really statements, they're, they're statements that are made um, during if, if you are in custody is, is those statements. So you have to be, um, um, it's, it's custodial interrogation. The, the, that's the, those are the types of statements, but that, that you have to serve notice of because those are the ones that um, are required under this, under this notice. Um, however, the, there might be other statements that they might serve notice of where he wasn't in custody that they might, that they want to use like statements that he made about the case previously. So we might hear of any of those statements that they want to use. The other types of notices um, probably don't, you know, definitely don't apply here. So uh, I'm not sure you'll hear of any other notices. And and the, the prosecutor also will likely serve a statement of facts. I think in this case, they will do that so that they're, because the prosecutor is bound by ethical rules not to talk about a case outside of what's said in court. And so if there are facts that, uh, that, you say in court, then those facts can be in the public realm and talked about by the prosecutor. Since here um, that may or may not be done, they probably will file a statement of facts or unless it's all in the conspiracy. So I think you'll see that. And then it'll get adjourned for motion practice. Now, uh, there is a speedy trial in New York, um, like everywhere else, where you have to go to trial within six months of um you have six months of chargeable time that you have to go to trial but the, the clock stops and pauses at various times uh, if the defendant wants it to if the defendant doesn't want it to if you just want to go forward then this would go to trial in six months but we anticipate that he will make motions and legal arguments and motions if he wants to make motions like like the statute of limitations has already run could be one motion or I want to suppress certain evidence could be another motion or I want a change in venue because 
um, because I can't get a fair trial in Manhattan because people in Manhattan hate me, or I want a new judge because judge you, you were so vindictive towards the Trump org. You know, you already said that, uh, you hate me and I want a new judge or he's going to make all kinds of motions. Who knows? You know, they're, they're going to make motions. All of that pauses the time and, um, and none of that's charged to the prosecution. So, so he though, I think is going to make lots of motions because he, his number one legal tactic is delay. Judge Mershon, however, will keep an eye on keeping this case moving. And so I anticipate, although there will be reasonable motion practice allowed, which is usually 45 days um, for the defense to get their motions in. Uh, and he will also challenge the sufficiency of the grand jury, by the way. That's something you can do in New York that you can't do federally. And I don't know about California, but, but the, you know, federally, the grand jury is, is very much a closed, um, you don't really get to see what happens there. In the state, a defendant can challenge uh, the sufficiency of the grand jury evidence. So he'll also, so he'll probably make motions about, uh, about whether or not the, whether or not um, the bump up. So the falsifying of business records, the way Popak was saying, you have to have committed another crime to make it a felony. Um, he's going to challenge whether the crimes that were presented to the grand jury are ones that can be relied upon, like a federal election charge. Um, so he'll make all kinds of challenges like that. And that'll all happen during a reasonable motion yep. practice period. And then the prosecutor will respond to the motion and then the judge will decide. So, so that's what will happen next. Popak, I want to give you the final word on this uh, historic week when we're talking about uh, this criminal indictment, Popak. I've seen all of the social commentary, mainly by the right-wing MAGA, about what a sad day it is in criminal justice and the history of criminal justice. I think Chris Keis put it for this to happen. There's one person that is to blame for this in a series of what we expect to be indictments over the next several months, and that is Donald Trump. Donald Trump was a grifter and a fraudster and a scam artist dating back to his time working next to his father, Fred Trump, all the way through his running of casinos, running them into the ground in Atlantic City and grifting all along the way to the celebrity apprentice, to the um, the grifting and the fundraising that he did around that, even before he decided to enter office, he was not qualified to be the president of the United States. But he, you know, he was on a he was on a stage with sixteen other people that were that nobody knew, and so he ended up becoming the president of the United States. And then he established the same kleptocracy in the Oval Office and in the in the West Wing as he had in business his entire life. And now all of these things, they are they are his fault, okay? So the MAGA Republicans who are like, oh my God, up in arms, he's being indicted for something that happened in 2006, and it's, it's a porn star, and it's a this or that. It is Donald Trump's conduct and behavior that a grand jury, independent grand jury of 23 people in New York, have decided is a crime that it's not in the right order that we don't that we would all like you know we'd like jack smiths to go first with the inter interference of the election and the and jan 6th and and the mar-a-lago maybe and maybe fawny willis for the georgia election and the and the quote-unquote perfect phone call but justice comes as justice comes and we can't order it and we can't sequence it but that doesn't mean he should be let off the hook because the smaller of the three crimes, if we're ranking them, is the one that got out of the chute first. 
He's going to be held accountable. If we've learned anything from Thursday and the way Alvin Bragg, much maligned, but now will be a historic hero for doing this, for coming out of the box, for getting right on the facts and bringing this case because the buck stops with that prosecutor. It, it, it is the case that was ready now. The other cases will be ready in their own time. At the end, when we look back, when history looks back at this, period, in a chapter, in a book, maybe not in a Florida textbook, but everywhere else that describes the history of America, they will say that at the end of 2023 and 2024, Donald Trump was indicted several times related to conduct both in the office in the waning days and outside the office before he got in, the delay being he was in office so he couldn't be sued but that he was brought to justice. That's what I believe the chapters in the, the pages in the chapters of those books are going to read, notwithstanding all of the social media backbiting and hand-wringing that's going on now, mainly by, by the Republicans in MAGA. And that's a great point, because the only people who are politicizing this are the MAGA Republicans, are Donald Trump's followers, who are saying that because of Donald Trump's you know, leadership of this new MAGA Republican Party, that he's above the law. Notice, none of them are saying he's innocent, right? There's, I haven't seen the argument, he didn't pay hush money payments and he didn't falsify business records. Their argument is always, New York has a lot of crime and they lie about it. Crime's down in New York. But, but that's the argument that they pursue. They're the ones who are politicizing something um, and they are the ones who are not focused on the rule of law. And you make a great point there, Popak, as well, because while this is a class E felony, this current case where uh, Donald Trump has been criminally indicted. So the jail time, I think, at most would be about four years uh, and it potentially, you know, when you're when you're at sentencing, you know, likely would be less. But it is something that he can serve, you know, jail time for. This doesn't mean that Alvin Bragg has given up the case where he's uh, still investigating and he said it. He's still investigating the financial fraud and Trump's tax evasion and the bigger case. He's just taken a step-by-step approach. Step one, Trump organization. Step two, falsifying business records. And he's still investigating the other crimes. And of course, we have special counsel Jack Smith investigating uh, with two grand juries in federal court in Washington, D.C., Trump's election interference, Trump's obstruction of justice and theft of government records. Of course, we have Fawny Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, who will be presenting before a grand jury there. You've got the E. Jean Carroll uh, civil rape and defamation trial set to take place on April 25th. You've got the New York Attorney General Letitia James case, uh, the civil fraud case set to go to trial October 2nd of 2023, where the New York Attorney General is seeking at least $250 million in damages and likely in the billions of dollars and damages against Donald Trump, the Trump organization, and Trump's adult children, and an injunction which would basically stop them from doing business in New York and effectively end the Trump organization. And so the judge there, Judge Arthur Ngoron, who Trump also attacks the same way he's attacking Judge Juan Mershon, the same way he's attacking Judge David Carter, the same way he attacks all the judges, but Judge Arthur Ngoron 
uh, in New York in the New York Attorney General Letitia James case said, come hell or high water, it shall be etched in stone. I am not moving the trial date from October 2nd, 2023, despite Trump's attempt to delay, delay, delay. And speaking about billion dollar cases, Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox is set to go to trial in the next few weeks. And there was a massive ruling uh, that just took place in Delaware Superior Court where this uh, case is before, uh, where the judge made a ruling that spells doom for Fox and was a great ruling for Dominion, but I think more importantly, a great ruling for the truth. We will talk about that right after this quick break. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Lomi. Now, I've never been able to compost before. It was always too complicated, too much work, and frankly, I don't think I even knew exactly if I was doing it right. Then I got a Lomi. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with just the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs, and it's really quiet. Thanks to Lomi, I have way less garbage each week. My family, we're down from three bags per week to just one. And here's something pretty cool. My wife, she recently started gardening, and we've been able to use the dirt that Lomi produces to help fill the garden. And since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, I turn my waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. I feel so great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of waste. And I have basically a limitless supply of dirt for my garden. The other week I had my in-laws over for dinner and the food cleanup process was such a breeze. Plus they all think I'm super eco-conscious now. If you wanna start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash LegalAF and use the promo code LegalAF to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to lomi.com slash LegalAF and use promo code LegalAF at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can. And now back to the video. And welcome back. We got to talk about this Dominion lawsuit, this billion dollar Dominion lawsuit. We've seen, we've talked about the text messages uh, that behind the scenes, Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingraham and, you know, uh, Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, Suzanne Scott, all the executives, all acknowledging that they're lying to their viewers, you know, and lots of them mocking their viewers, mocking Donald Trump, mocking everything and just saying, hey, we're, we're just going to spread the lies to uh, increase our ratings. Well, a big ruling in Delaware Superior Court this week. Michael Popak, I want to uh, hear from you about that uh, ruling and why it's so significant and why it was probably the worst case ruling for Fox other than perhaps the billion dollar judgment that's likely coming. And of their own making, because it's based on a motion that Fox and Fox Corp and Fox News and Rupert Murdoch and 16 other defendants, they decided that they were going in their infinite wisdom of their lawyers to file what we call a motion for summary judgment, asking the judge even before trial to make a ruling. What they asked for is to, to find that there was the statements that were made were not false against Dominion voting machines, that they were connected to Venezuelan government and Hugo Chavez, that they bribed 
U.S. election officials to get their equipment in, that their equipment could be easily and was hacked to favor Trump over Biden and and all the rest of that that was said on a loop ad nauseum every day, every hour on Fox, whether it was Lou Dobbs or Janine Pirro or Tucker Carlson or Hannity or the rest against this poor company, Dominion, that was founded after 2000 because of the hanging Chad problem in Palm Beach County that got Bush elected over Gore. That's the reason they created their safe technology, their new technology. Um, So this is a Fox's own making. Let me back up for a minute. We're in Delaware Superior Court for this case, although New York law is being applied. That's a little quirk here. The judge sits in Delaware. It's a well-known judge, Eric Davis. I know him reasonably well. We worked at a law firm together. He was a partner at Skadden Arps down in Delaware, which, and there's a number of seats on the Delaware courts that are reserved for certain law firms. I'll leave it at that. He's sitting in the Skadden seat, if you will, at the Superior Court, which handles the the damages type cases. The Chancery Court, which you and I, Ben and Karen, talk more about on this show, really deals with um, corporate control issues and equity issues, a little bit of damage, but it's a slightly different court. This is the wild, wild west as far as Delaware is concerned. Although Eric Davis is a very prim and proper judge, you can rarely, he's a poker player, you can rarely tell what he's thinking in the courtroom. Um, He's very sober in the courtroom, although in the 100-page opinion that we're going to talk about next, he blasts Fox, strips them really of many of their defenses and privileges in front of the jury, leaving them pretty vulnerable and and bare to this, what could be a $1.6 billion or more um, damage claim. What's the issue? The issue is whether by the Fox News on-air personalities constantly putting on Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and all the rest of them attacking mercilessly this poor company called Dominion with lies upon lies upon lies about their product, about their integrity, about their security, about their about their corporate culture of not bribing people, telling people that they were a Hugo Chavez dictator Venezuela devised company, all a complete and utter lie. And then we rip the curtain off in discovery, the process of the exchange of information between parties, which the judge cites over and over again. Ben, on this show, on the Midas Brothers show, on all the hot takes, we gave out as much as we could of the emails and texts that were revealed in discovery that blew the hole in the whole argument that that uh, the Fox Corporation and Fox News didn't know that these were lies wasn't doing it for profit, wasn't doing it for their ratings, wasn't doing it because they cared more about lining their own pockets with ad dollars than they did about this this Dominion voting. It was just entertainment to them. This is just entertainment. They didn't care about defamation. Now, in order to in order for them to prevail at trial, Fox News has a defense. And the defense was what we call actual malice. Because if I defame Ben or Karen, if I say something that's it's it's demonstrably false against them. And they're not public figures or limited purpose public figures. Then me just saying it and publishing it, which means I tell a third person, whether in writing or or out loud, and they're damaged, or it is presumed that they're damaged by the nature of what I say, they've got a defamation case against me. And I can't use as a defense 
that I didn't mean it or I didn't I I didn't I thought it was not true or not it is true or other or other types of privileges that go along with defamation. I'm dead. But news organizations often try to hide behind and use as privilege the First Amendment. And the First Amendment, as expanded upon in a Supreme Court case from 1964, which we talk about a lot on this show over the course of time, called uh, New York Times versus Sullivan, the Sullivan case, um, basically says that in order for a news organization or anyone that's a public figure, which in this case, Dominion would be arguably a public figure, in order for defamation to be proven against them, to award them damages, there's one other element, and that element is actual malice. It's a doctrine that was created by the case. And actual malice means that the person making the false statement also knows or should have known that the statement is false. If I just pass along some gossip, but I don't know it's false, I probably don't satisfy actual malice. So, so Fox News has been trying to hide behind the flag of the First Amendment. First Amendment, we're a news organization. We're just we're just neutrally reporting things. We're not doing opinion. Uh, you know, this was wasn't us saying that the uh, Venezuela had infiltrated Dominion or that the Chinese had or that they had brought. That's other people that were on our show. And you can't hold us accountable for that because we're a news organization. And this judge has already had a dress rehearsal for this case because he's also the judge involving Smartmatic. And Smartmatic is, a, is another relatively smaller um, election equipment company, software company, that I think has one client. I think it was Los Angeles at the time, who also got maligned at the same time by um, Fox News. And they have a, a, a parallel case also in Delaware, also in front of Eric Davis. So if if um, the Fox News wanted to figure out whether they were going to win or lose their motion. All they had to do was go read the Smartmatic opinion by Judge Davis, in which he said, there are limits to the First Amendment. You are not allowed to hide behind it, and you're not allowed to say things that are scurrilous and scandalously wrong, even if you know that they are. So I don't want to hear about the First Amendment, and he let the Smartmatic case go forward. Here, Fox decided in its infinite wisdom, let's try to get the judge to rule before trial that we didn't defame, um, that the elements of defamation are not met. It wasn't defamatory. In other words, it wasn't false, the statements that we made. It was opinion. That's a privilege. And we didn't do it with actual malice, and they don't have any damage. So, judge, we win the case. Tell us now. Do it now. Do it before a jury trial. And the judge came back in a 100-page decision and quoted from texts and quoted from emails, including ones that had a lot of bad language in them, but then ended up in Eric Davis's order and said, let's go through the elements and let's see what I can do on summary judgment for you now. Okay. On the element of false statements, I find as a matter of law, the jury doesn't have to decide this, that everything you said about Dominion was false. So when the jury comes in for the trial, there will be a trial, the jury will be instructed that prior to the jury being impaneled. The judge has already made certain decisions in this case. And let me read you what you what they are. The falsity of the statements have already been established for you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. That's not for you to decide. You are to assume that everything that Fox and the Fox people said about Dominion is false. Let's go to the next element on summary judgment. On summary judgment, are you entitled to a privilege because you're just a journalistic entity, a news organization, neutrally reporting the news? And the judge says you're not because you went beyond neutrally reporting the news. So you don't get the benefit of that privilege. And one of the privileges 
privileges you raised isn't even a privilege anymore in New York, the judge said. So we ripped that away from you. Now let's go to publication, the second element of, of defamation. Did you publish it? And did you publish it Fox News? And did you publish it Fox Corporation? And did you publish it Rupert Murdoch and the rest? And on Fox News, he said you published. So the jury's going to be told the second element of defamation is also already decided for you before you got here. There's publication and there's false statement. As to Fox Corporation and to the others, he's going to let the jury decide based on the evidence whether the close relationship between Fox News and Fox Corporation, and there was plenty of evidence of that, in, uh, means that they're also responsible for and found vicariously liable for publication. So that'll go to the jury. Is Fox Corp and Murdoch also a publisher of these false statements? And then lastly, the judge said, as to um, damage, I'm letting the jury decide that. So you say it's way under 1.6 billion uh, Fox News. The jury decides that. That's a jury call. We let them pull out their checkbook at the appropriate time. And then the last major issue was, can I decide as a judge now whether actual malice has been uh, proven by Dominion based on all these emails and text messages, like Tucker Carlson saying, will you please fire that reporter for Fox News who says there wasn't any election interference? For F's sake, the stock price is going down. And all the other internal emails like, what the F? This is, you know, when Giuliani or... or um, Jenna Ellis or or Powell, City Powell, and, and the back door, they're all saying offline, this is effing nuts. This is mind-blowingly nuts. This doesn't make any sense. This is fake. This is phony. The judge says there's plenty of evidence that demonstrates actual malice, but I'm going to let the jury decide that. So all that is left for the jury to decide now, when, when Fox walks through the doors of that courtroom in April, later this month, is the following. Did Fox corporation also published yes or no did based on all the emails and all the text and the live testimony of tucker carlson sean hannity janine pirro lou dobbs they're all going to be in the courtroom being cross-examined on their emails on their text do you find that it's more likely than not that fox news and its people knew what they were saying was false or it's more likely that they did yes or no that's the only issue and then write a check for damages so ben a if 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 Fox thought let's slim this case down and maybe we'll win on privilege or we'll win on some defenses they lost on everything and there's only two little pieces left for the jury to decide what do you think about that well not only did they lose on everything but in a defamation case with a public figure right dominion for purposes of this case is a public figure that's why there is the Supreme Court precedential New York Times v. Sullivan standard where a public figure has to show that the entity or person that they are accusing of defaming them acted with actual malice. It's not enough to show in this case that Fox merely acted negligent or that Fox made a mistake. You have to show that Fox acted with actual malice, meaning they did it intentionally or they did it with a reckless disregard for the truth. And for a plaintiff bringing a case like this to even bring a summary judgment, oh, the defendant's always going to bring that summary judgment in a case like this to try to not get the case before a jury and to try to get it dismissed.
And so just so everybody, you know, you know, knows the process and procedure, usually early on in the case, someone who is sued or an entity that's sued will file a motion to dismiss for purposes of a motion to dismiss. They have to, um, the court has to accept as true all of the uh, allegations in the lawsuit, all of the allegations in the complaint, and see whether the plaintiff has asserted the elements. That's usually easier to get past. Um, but then on a summary judgment, what the decision ultimately bases, is based on is whether after now discovery takes place, after all of the facts are developed, has plaintiff established the elements based on all of the facts? Or uh, is there any disputed facts here that should go before uh, a jury? And one of the, to Popak's point, what a party bringing a summary judgment argues is that it's undisputed, that no jury could disagree with us that in this case, there was no defamation that takes place. That's what Fox was trying to argue, that every reasonable juror would agree with us. We did not defame uh, Dominion in this case. But here, Dominion also filed their own motion. There were dueling motions, and Dominion said, there's every single reasonable juror, there's no jurors out there who would disagree with us when they heard these facts. Everybody would look at this and said, Fox defamed us. So these dueling summary judgment motions were filed. And ultimately, to your point, the judge said, Fox, you lose everything, basically. Like your summary judgment is completely defeated. This case, you're not going to be able to dismiss this case. None of the elements you defeat. And so, Fox, I'm denying your summary judgment motion in total. However, when it comes to Dominion, I am going to grant your summary judgment on that element of falsity. I am going to also say that Fox can't assert their privileges. I'm also going to say with respect to the news division that there was a publication. So I'm actually going to say that and, and no reasonable juror could disagree with me is what the court's saying. And so the judge is saying exactly what you said. When the jury comes in, the judge is going to instruct the jury. I've already made a finding. This court has made a finding that these were false statements with respect to the news division, that it was published. And all you have to decide, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is was these statements published? Were these statements published with actual malice? Was it intentional or with a reckless disregard for the truth? And then what Dominion's going to do is show all those text messages and say, look, they knew. Of course it was intentional. <laughs> they said they intended to do it. It doesn't get more slam dunk than that. Look what Murdoch said. Murdoch said he intended to do it. Look what Hannity said. Look what Tucker said. Look what Laura Ingram said. Look, they fired this person who was actually trying to tell the truth. So I think it's a it is a big, big, big ruling. Um, and, you know, and, and one other point I'll make and throw it back to you, Popak, just to finish out this topic. And then I want to hear from Karen just about this historic week in general. But I think, look, this isn't the only case defamation case that, that that Fox is involved with, right? Smartmatic, a, another company uh, that Fox spread these conspiracies about, they've sued for $2 billion. And trust me, 
all of the judges are seeing these rulings, right? And I think Smartmatic is also, at least for the ability to say, for its persuasive authority, tell the judge in its cases, and other people who have sued Fox will tell the judges in their cases, take a look at what this finding was. There was a finding that Fox was publishing false information, false information. Popak, finish out this topic. Yeah, I think we've, we've, um, we've hit it exactly right. And just as a practitioner like Ben, you and me and Karen, they had a choice, Fox, when they got faced with the Dominion summary judgment, which you and I combed through methodically to pick out the hundreds and hundreds of emails and texts that they included to support in an appendix, a Dominion summary judgment. I thought at the time, all right, well, Fox will what, which is what I would do in this situation, they will try to defeat the summary judgment based on the way you framed it, Ben, by arguing that there are material issues of fact in dispute. So in dispute that only the trier of fact, which in this case is the jury, can resolve it before applying the law. That is the standard for summary judgment. So when I'm faced with a summary judgment, I rarely, to be frank, it depends on the case, but I rarely bring a cross motion for summary judgment um, a, because of the fear of what could happen here. I at least want to get to a trial. Um, I don't want to have a judge rip away, you know, or find, you know, cherry, cherry, two of the elements of a major, def, you know, claim against me before I even, you know, before I even got my uh, shoes tied to go into the courtroom or have my defenses stripped away. So what I would probably do strategically is just throw a lot of competing emails and texts at the judge if there are if there are any and deposition testimony because we know Rupert Murdoch got deposed a couple of times and Lachlan Murdoch and executives that none of us had ever heard of before but that are key people at Fox News and the Hannitys and Pirro and Dobbs of the world and said judge look there are so many issues of material fact and dispute about whether actual malice happened, what we knew, what we didn't know, what was communicated between these various uh, departments at, uh, and divisions at, at between Fox News and Fox Corp. It's got to go to the jury. Let's go to the jury and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it then. Then you've got an opening. If, if you were able to defeat the summary judgment, if you can, you got an opening. You're still in it as a defendant to try to negotiate a settlement or find an exit strategy or, you know, take your shot at court to try to convince a jury in Delaware um, better than this one judge who you know from prior rulings in the related Smartmatic case is probably against you on all the First Amendment stuff. So I wouldn't have done it this way, but it's too late now. Yep. That's that's what they chose to do. And now they're walking in with an arm and a leg and another arm tied behind their back as they try to defend this case in front of a jury. You know, one of the fascinating things about this episode in general is starting off talking about the criminal procedure and there's no one with more expertise or uh, among the people with the most expertise as Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Um, I know you're humble, Karen, so I will I will throw that out there for you. But I think there's no one in the world who knows more about Manhattan District Attorney practice um, than you. And then on the civil side, to hear from Michael Popak, his specialty. So you got to hear both the criminal side and the civil side on these very important cases. But I, of course, want to close out this episode here with you, Karen. Um, 
and just about what a historic week this is. Um, you know, one of the other points I think is important on, on, as part of the criminal procedure, right, is Donald Trump's going to also have to show up to each of these hearings because it's a felony in New York. So, so, so maybe just talk to that briefly. But, but more significantly, how historic this week is. Um, you know, you see Donald Trump attacking Alvin Bragg's wife, the Manhattan District Attorney's wife, and and doxing her. Um, you know, the Manhattan District Attorney's offices um, did something, did the right thing. You know, yes, it's courageous, um, but I, I don't. I'm not sure they view it that way. I think they view it as we were just following law and order, and th- 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 this is law and order. If someone commits a crime. They get prosecuted for the crime. So I want to give you the final word on this historic episode of Legal AF. Look, it's I can't understate or I can't overstate how historic this week is. The New York Times, when he was indicted, I actually took a picture of it on my screen because I don't get a physical copy anymore. I mean, it just says Trump indicted. It's, you know, absolutely um, historic in a way that that you can't overstate uh, the fact that charging the, a former president of the United States with a crime has never happened, you know, in, in our nation's history. Obviously, many politicians and former politicians and even vice presidents have, but never a former president. And and what's sad isn't that he was charged, but that we elected somebody who commits crimes, has committed crimes. And frankly, one thing to keep in mind about this particular case is every single time that he wrote a check to Michael Cohen or uh, entered a false record in the business records, he was, he was, um, he was absolutely committing a crime while president of the United States sitting in the Oval Office. And I I just think that's something to think about, that you have someone who is committing a crime as a sitting president. And that is something that we can't stand for as a society or a democracy. And I am so proud that the Manhattan DA's office under Alvin Bragg continues the same excellent traditions that were started under Robert Morgenthau, who who hired me uh, to to work for him and changed my life and my career trajectory, obviously. And then Cy Vance, who uh, I worked for for more than a decade, and now Alvin Bragg. The Manhattan DA's office has always done some of the most consequential uh, prosecutions in the country. It is it has been known as one of the leading prosecutor's offices in the country because it takes on uh, cases, uh, big or small, without fear or favor. And so I couldn't be more proud of of the office continuing that great tradition. And just to um, end this with what Ben was saying, in a criminal case, unlike a civil case, a defendant is required to appear every court appearance. Occasionally, if there's a logistical or some other issue, you can waive his appearance. Uh, that could happen here if there's security concerns or issues or, or if, if Donald Trump, um, if he causes a big stir, I, perhaps he may be permitted to uh, waive a couple appearances, but by and large, he has to appear at, at almost all, if not all, his court appearances. So that'll be very interesting. He'll be coming to court. We'll have many opportunities to see that. I wonder whether his next, when they adjourn the case, it's usually for about a month to, for, for, um, when 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 it when they do an adjournment from a, from Supreme Court arraignment, I have to wonder: Will they do it 
the week of April 25th, when he will also be in court for his uh, rape trial that he's having. And make no mistake, that E. Jean Carroll case is a rape trial. And so there's a lot going to be happening in New York, and uh, we will be seeing him again. So um, this is just historic, but it's only the beginning because, as as you guys said, there are so many cases I, between now and um, the next six months. Not only are there going to be two civil, huge, sweeping civil trials, the rape case and the um, Letitia James ones, but we will likely see more indictments to come. We're going to be very busy here on Legal AF, and I couldn't be more proud to host the show with Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Thank you both so much, and thank you all to the Midas Mighty out there, to all the Legal AFers out there, uh, to all of our hosts on this incredible network, to all of our correspondents who have done some incredible work, uh, provided incredible coverage, and who have been providing this objective, data-based law and order approach, which I've come to uh, really, really, really uh, love. And uh, it's really, you don't really see it anywhere else. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to have that here at the Midas Touch Network. So thank you all for watching this episode of Legal AF. Make sure you hit the subscribe button here. We passed 1 million subscribers last week. We're on the way to 1.5 million subscribers. So please hit the subscribe button. You can also check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. And also make sure to uh, subscribe to Legal AF wherever you get your audio podcasts. That goes a long way to help us. It's free to subscribe there. So once this show ends, if you are a YouTube watcher, please go and subscribe on our audio podcast. It'll take you 30 seconds. Just go and hit subscribe on Legal AF and leave a five-star review. And if you listen just on audio podcast, also make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you, everybody, for watching this episode of Legal AF, a historic episode indeed. Shout out to the Midas Mighty.